Being anything other than happy is unacceptable. I know some people are like, oh, man, I'm out of luck. Get us there, Adam. I'll do my best. Um, everybody ready for Christmas? Yeah, almost, yeah. Uh, just in case uh, you were wondering, I think Heather and I, we bought two presents, I think. So we gotta, we're going to hit it hard tomorrow. This is what we do. We, we never do anything on, on Christmas shopping. We never start on time. It's like, you know, the last thing. I'm not even totally sure what I'm going to buy, Heather. <laughs> I know what to get her. I just can't find it, you know. I found it on the Internet, and it won't be here in time. So I may be driving on Wednesday. Some of you guys can, can flow with me. Good deal. I tell you what, why don't you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. We're going we're gonna to land in Matthew chapter 7 and we're going to finish up our, our series that we've been working through here at the Vineyard called The Good Life. And um, we're going to look at a, a couple verses from Matthew chapter 7. Everybody been tracking with us on our series about The Good Life? Everybody, everybody, everybody feeling the Lord touch them maybe in some spots or poking them? Life is infinitely better. Infinitely better. Ray's life is infinitely better. That's good. Um, I think most of us here have been, been with me for most of this series, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you the review. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm just going to cut right to the chase if that's all right. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Let's start at verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I've got a little video I want to show you guys this morning. So I think Marcus is going to bring that up for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got, a, it's got a soundtrack this morning as well. It's okay. Come on, Tamar. I should never have brought you into the fields today. It's him! The carpenter in Sepphoris! Come to me and listen and act on my words. <clears throat> if you do that, then you're like a very wise man who built his house upon a rock. But anyone who listens to what I say and does nothing about it is is like a stupid man who built his house upon the sand. Build your life like you build a house on deep foundations. Don't just take the easy way. Take the hard way. Listen to my words. Let them go deeper and deeper. Open 
your hearts and minds to the truth. Be ready for the day when trouble comes, when difficulties arise and terrible storms rage all around you. Build your house on the rock. Now you've caught the sun. Oh, now the fever is coming. Let me watch. I want to hear the man. It's a good clip, huh? Yeah. It's a, it's a little movie called The Miracle Maker. It's actually very good. Um, it's, it's really good. You're, I mean, heck, it's not just for kids. It's for, it's for adults as well. Um, yeah, I want to talk about, um, I want to continue here and finish up our series on the good life. And what I want to talk about is I want to, I want to talk about building foundations for life, if that'd be all right. Everybody's familiar with the passage we just read, right? Matthew chapter 7. We've heard it since what? We've heard it since we were like two or three years old. Most of us would instantly, if, if someone were to begin to read it, we might not know exactly where it was in the scripture, but we would know that it's, it's Bible and we would probably, most of us know that it was Jesus, Right? Matt would know that. The, the rest of you wouldn't know that. So that, that disheartens me considerably. Uh, let's, have a little, let's have a little pop quiz. Everybody knows this story. Um, so let's just let's investigate something here this morning because I want to talk about building foundations. And um, so let's just uh, let's investigate this scripture a little bit. Can anybody in the room tell me what the rock is? If we, were, if we were to interpret this scripture, what is the rock? Someone quickly... Just put your hand up. The person who knows. Marcus, what is the rock? Yes, it, it's, it's a rather poor movie with Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate it. Can someone else tell me what the rock is that, that, is, that is in our scripture this morning? Can someone? It, it, Ray says it's Dwayne Johnson. So now, now we've gone through all possible scenarios. Anybody else in the room? Can someone? It's open book test. Can someone tell me what the rock is? Anyone? Is it faith? That's that's a. It sounds like a good answer, right? Anybody else got another answer? It's got to be Jesus, right? The right answer is always Jesus, right? Anyone else have an answer? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the scripture again, and I want us. I want us to to look closely. For what is the rock, okay? This is what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yes, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Can someone tell me what is the rock? Jesus' words. Practicing Jesus' words. Come on, Jason Garrett. Everyone give Jason Garrett a hand. Jason, thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. And thank you for indulging me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not merely Jesus, it's not merely faith, it's certainly not Dwayne Johnson, and it's not even Sean Connery's fine film from, what, 1992? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not even that film. It is, it is hearing Jesus' words, 
and putting them into practice. The person who hears his words and puts them into practice, the person who is obedient to the words of Jesus, that's the person who has arranged their life and built their foundations on the rock. Isn't it funny how you can read a scripture and you assume that you know it and until you carefully walk through the scripture you find out, wow, there's this whole, there's this whole element of the scripture that I was completely unaware of. Just so you know, that happens to me all the time. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. And what I want to tell you guys right up front is this, is that the good life is not, the good life, the good life is not the kind of life that is simply a theory to be learned and to be memorized. Jesus' good kind of life is not a theory to be learned and memorized. It's, 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 not, it's, not, a, it's not a theological argument. It's, it's not a book you read. It's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not knowledge in the most esoteric sense. It's not knowledge that you, you gather, you acquire, you put it into your brain. And, and, and knowing that knowledge isn't simply being able to regurgitate it to your neighbor. That's not the good life. And here's the other thing I want to tell you about about this scripture before we get into it, is that the truth of Jesus and the truth of the kingdom of God is not a delicate flower. what, What are you talking about, Adam? Here's what I mean. The truth of Jesus Christ, his kingdom, and the good life that he brings. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is the bringer and the broker of the good kind of life. If you want to have the good kind of life, you've got to deal with Jesus. He's the bringer and the broker of the good kind of life. So here's the deal. Jesus' kingdom, his teaching, his, his, his person and his ministry, and what it, what it is for us, it's not a delicate flower that you have to put in the windowsill, give special potting soil, and give special attention to in the sense that we might break it, okay? Some of us, some of us have this, this, this mindset that says, well, you know, the kingdom of God and Jesus' is teaching, you know, it's, it's delicate, it'll break. No, it's, it's really more like a four-by-four, four, okay? And Jesus' is, Jesus is teaching and his kingdom and his ministry and what it, what it brings to us is more like, it's more like one of those, you know, those giant, there's a guy on my road, God help him, who has this giant, red truck who and he nearly kills us it's a giant four-wheel drive dodge diesel dually thing and he nearly kills us all the time he's running other that's that's like jesus's kingdom it's it's this giant dodge dually diesel cummins engine pickup truck and the point of jesus's pickup truck is to drive it and to drive it off road and to field test it in real life that's really the point and so what Jesus is doing here in this scripture for us this morning is he's warning us. This is a warning scripture, okay? And he's highlighting a very real temptation for his followers. Can I tell you what the temptation is? He's highlighting a real temptation. You have to understand, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's talking in chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's one long sermon, and he's talking to his followers. That'd be us, okay? Okay? And so by the time he finishes up here in chapter 7, he's giving a warning and he's highlighting a temptation. And it's not, a, it's not the temptation that's common to just anybody. It's a temptation that's common to his followers. And it's the temptation for this. It's the temptation to hear his words and be satisfied with just hearing his words. 
See, every follower, every follower is going to have to deal with the Lord uh, with, on this one issue, and it's, and it's this issue. Am I satisfied with merely hearing Jesus' words, or am I a follower who is only satisfied with doing Jesus' words? And so it's a, warning to, it's a warning to every follower. It's a warning to everyone in a purple chair. It's a warning to me. The, the, one of the greatest temptations that any of us will experience as followers of Jesus is to simply be satisfied, to come in, get our coffee, get our donuts, find our friend, hopefully no one's sitting in my spot, and be completely satisfied and consumed with just hearing, just hearing God's word. Just hearing God's word is good. If Adam's on, then I'm satisfied. If the worship team is hot, then I go away and I'm happy. And, and it's the temptation of, of real Christianity is it's this. Am I satisfied with just hearing or am, I, or am I only fed from doing? Jesus said something amazing in John chapter 4. It's, it's where he meets the woman at the well. His disciples go off and they, get, they go get some bread because the Lord told them to go get bread. He said, hey, go get some bread. So they go and they go into the town. By the time they return, Jesus is talking to a woman and they're shocked. They're shocked for a couple reasons. Number one, he's talking to a woman. You don't do that back then. Number two, they're shocked because he's talking to a Samaritan woman. That's like double no-no, okay? The Jews did not get along with the Samaritans. And Jesus, Jesus finishes up with her, and he, and he turns to his disciples, and they, and they say to him, Hey, Master, we bought your bread. He goes, That's cool. I don't want any of your bread. I have bread that you guys don't know about. And they're all shocked again. And he says, My food is to do the will of my Father. It nourished him. It satisfied him. And so he's highlighting a temptation for me and for everyone in the room, and it's the temptation to be satisfied with merely hearing Jesus' words. But I want to talk about building foundations because that's what the Lord's talking about this morning. He's talking about building foundations. Hearing Jesus' word and putting them in the praxis is the suitable foundation for building the good kind of life. You can't build the good kind of life without coming to Jesus. But not only that, you can't build a good kind of life without coming to Jesus and actually doing what he says in actual real life with actual people. To hear Jesus' words and not put them into practice is what I would call professional religion. And most of us, most of us live a lot of our lives in professional religion realm. So let's talk a little bit about foundations this morning. We've got some builders in the room, don't we? Got a couple builders. Let me see. Tim, Bubba. Yeah. There's Brandon, he's kind of a builder. He, he sells the builder stuff. So he, but Richard's a builder. Fogler Home Improvement. No, no job too small or too large. What, what's the first thing that you start with? If you're going to begin a building project, Richard, where's, where's the first thing you start? A plan. And then after the plan, you're going to move on to the foundation. Thank you for screwing me up, Richard. I appreciate it. <laughs> See, here's one of the things you've got to know about Richard. Here's one of the things you've got to know about Richard. Richard delights in throwing a monkey wrench into my cogs. <laughs> when we, we built this little addition out here, you know, the little, the little closet addition that you walk through, you know, and it's, it's nothing. And... Um, and we're getting ready to, you know, build that, and so we've got we've to dig some footers, and Richard and I are talking about it, and uh, he goes to see, he goes to see the, the permit guy in town. The permit guy goes, hey, you know your footers have to be 24 inches, right? And we're like, are you kidding me? That little thing it has to have foot-. Yeah, so we dug these giant footers. But the first, the first thing you do when you go to actually begin to think about putting hammer and nails together is you're going you're gonna to lay your foundation. 
And your foundation is actually your most important, is your most important part of, of, of getting started. And um, here's the reason that the foundation is the most important part of getting started. Because the foundation, it sets the trajectory for what can be built on top. It, it not only sets the trajectory for what can be built on top, it determines what can be built on top and the kind of purpose that what is built on top can actually serve. Think about it this way. If you go out, I remember when we were building our house, um, the guys came out and they excavated, and our house is 28 feet deep and it's 40 feet wide. And so what they did is they built, they, the first thing he does is he dug the basement. After he dug the basement, he dug footers in the basement. And the, and the footers were, you might guess it, they were 40 feet wide and they were 28 feet deep. And after that, I can't build a 30 feet wide, 50 feet deep house. I can't do that. I can only build what my, what my foundations are there. So foundations, they set the trajectory of, your, of what can be built on top, but they also determine what can actually be built on top. Um, when, we were, when we were building my house, Justin and Richard did it for me. When we were building my house, uh, the footers, they were all poured and they were reinforced with rebar. And when the, when the basement walls were going up off of that footer, uh, the guys who were, who were pouring our walls, you know, they're good and they're decent enough guys, but the thing they really care about in life is getting it done fast, okay? That's, that's, what they, that's their number one concern. Is it hard? Yes. Are we, can we get out of here quickly? That's what contractors who deal with concrete deal, that's, that's their goal, okay? Can I be fast? Is the concrete hard? Let's move on. And so while we were pouring those basement walls, Justin was over, over there with them, even though he's not a contract contractor who does basement walls Justin's over there and he's constantly pulling the tape measure and pulling x's and and measuring and the reason he's measuring is this is because if my foundations for my basement walls if they're out of square or out of plumb it becomes a headache not just a headache but a nightmare for he and Richard for the rest of the project see see foundations set the trajectory for, for the rest of what can be built on top here's the deal when those basement walls came off they were perfectly in square. They were so in square that they built my house, and by the time we, some of you, this means nothing to some people, but it means something to some other people, so I'll go ahead and tell you this. But by the time we, by the time we were done with the framing, the house is square, and by the time we were starting the finish work, we're upstairs, and we're laying hardwood floor, and there's a, there's a hallway. It's a long hallway. It goes down this hallway on my upstairs, and it comes out into like a, like a balcony section, and then the balcony section runs over into River and Seth's room. It's like this really, it's almost the entire span of the house. We're laying, we're laying that, well, we're not. They were laying, I, I would never do that. I mean, not because it's beneath me, but because I'm an idiot, and I'm just not good with my hands. But they were, they were pounding that hardwood floor in, and so they're starting, they got their chalk lines popped, and by the time they move into the other room and take it into River and Seth's room, like by the time it goes to that front corner of the house, now they started back in the middle of the house where they can't see the they get to the front corner, it's perfect. Why? Because the foundation was set perfect. See, it's incredibly important what foundation you build upon. You build, you build your life... You build your life on only hearing Jesus' words but not putting them into practice. It's like pouring basement walls on top of a footer four inches out of square. Ain't nothing going to work. Yeah, you get your footers wrong, you get your basement wrong, you get your basement walls out of square, out of plumb. And those problems become amplified through the whole project, if you can see that. It, it's, like taking, it's like taking that out of square or out of plumb, and it's like sticking it into a guitar amplifier and turning it to 10. It, it's little here, 
and it becomes amplified. You all understand that, right? Um, most of us here, has anybody here ever been, to, uh, ever been to Chicago or New York City? Anybody here ever been up to the top of the Sears Tower or, or like the Empire State Building? Yeah, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, the Sears Tower is, is 1,450 feet tall on the top floor. That doesn't count the, the spire that goes up even higher. And the Empire State Building, it's 1,250 250 feet in the air, and then it has a spire on it that's a couple more hundred feet. Catch this. These are, these are enormous buildings, okay? Like the Sears Tower, we could take all of Campbellsville and put it into the Sears Tower. We could just move everybody in. Give them, everybody would have their own spot, you know? We wouldn't even, you, you wouldn't even... You wouldn't even rub elbows with people in there. It's so big. It's 1,450 feet in the air. How deep do you think its foundations are? This blew me away. The foundations in that building are 100 feet deep. And and it's not, and it's not just, it's not just one, it's not just like, you know, one hole. They, They dug multiple giant holes over 100 feet deep into the ground. See, the first they excavated a bunch out, and then they, then they dug deeper, and then, then they started drilling and blasting through rock. And so they, they, they create uh, piers, and there's multiple piers in that building. They're over 100 feet deep. In New York City, in New York City, uh, the Empire State Building is 1,250 feet straight up in the air. It, its foundations are 50 feet deep in solid rock the whole way. They blasted them out. Hong Kong is, is a, just an enormous city in, in, in China, and, and it has some of the world's tallest buildings, but not only that, it has lots of the world's tallest buildings. It's just a huge collection right there in Hong Kong. And the reason that, the, the reason that, that Hong Kong is an architecturally appealing city for high-rises isn't because there's just mass population, but it's because solid rock is really close to the surface in Hong Kong. And so they can build just giant towering, giant towering buildings. The reason they can build it is because they can set foundations right. Foundations, they set the trajectory, and they determine what you can build on top. Who here is hoping, who here is hoping that they can, they can build their life to mediocrity? Anybody, anybody here just hoping for average? Man, I'm, I'm just, you know, just surviving. I just want to survive, and I want to build my life to mediocrity, you know? I've asked that to a lot of people. No one's ever told me, I just want to build my life to mediocrity. No one is. You know why? Because, because there's something in the heart of every man and woman, every man and woman who knows Jesus, and even every man and woman who doesn't know Jesus, there's something in the heart of people that we want, that, that we want to aspire to some sort of greatness. And, and you know, I want to tell you something. That, that little spark in your heart and in your mind that, that, that hopes at some point that you can do something great, that, that's actually from the Lord, okay? And the number one thing that will keep people from doing something great, the number one thing is not taking enough time setting foundations in the beginning. Your foundations will only rise, your, 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 the, the, the building of your life, the house of your life will only rise as, as high as the foundations you set right now allow them. So, so the foundations, they set the trajectory and they determine what can be built on top. Here's the other thing about foundations. Foundations are slow. 
when my house was being framed, it took as long to excavate, dig the footers, pour the basement walls, and do all of that business as it did to pretty much frame the rest of the house. Now, some of it was because we were having some weather problem, but it took them as long to do that as it did all of the stuff you see. So when we're building, when we're building the foundations of our life, when we're beginning to tune our heart and to tune our ears to be the kind of disciple who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice, one of the things you need to realize is, is that process isn't an overnight process. It's a slow process. Have you guys been reading Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 at all in the last eight weeks? Okay. When you read Matthew 5, 6, or 7, as you read along, how many of you in here get pricked in the heart and go, oh, that's me? How many of you get pricked in the heart over and over and over? How many of you read every section and go, my God, it's me? Yeah, okay, see, that's where I'm at most of the time. I read every section and go, oh, my God, it's me. Here's what I want to tell you. Building foundations is slow. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's of critical importance that we get it right. And one of the things that the devil likes to do is he likes to get you to become, if he can't convince you to just be satisfied with hearing Jesus' words, he would like to trick you into doing all of Jesus' words at once. Okay? This is a little insight I've had in life. If the devil can't get you to just hear Jesus' words and be satisfied with that, if the devil can't get you to just be satisfied with coming to church and Hannah doing a good job and maybe, and maybe, and maybe Sam ripping off a good solo, if, if, if the devil can't just keep you satisfied with that stuff, then he'll try to convince you to fix everything in your life all at once. And what I want to tell you is that's a recipe for disaster. If you've been reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and as you read it, if your heart has been bumping into things, and as you get bumped into, if your heart is being pricked and you know the Lord wants to deal with you on something, just take a little advice from the pastor. Don't do it all at once. It's slow. It's supposed to be slow. Here's the deal. If you're the kind of person, if you're the kind of person who has sown into anger your entire life, if you've got, if you've got a 25-year professional career of anger, you're not going to get over it all in one night. Not only that, but, but you probably ought to start there. And, and the devil's plan would be, well, let's, let's deal with, Adam, you need to deal with the anger. And in addition to that, you hate your neighbor, so you've got to deal with that. And don't forget, you need, to, you need to give in secrecy because that's one of the things you've got to do. And then on top of that, you're, you're judgmental and critical, so you've got to worry about your judgmental and critical spirit. Now there's four things, do them. And, and you'll, just, you'll fall underneath the weight of it. You can't do it. Here's one of the things that, uh, that, was, that, I, that I learned in ministry school. One of, my, one of my pastor teachers said this to me, and I've, I've just seen it to be true. It's a little saying. It goes like this. It's just, that, it's just that the Lord leads and the devil drives. The Lord, leaves and the, de- the Lord leads and the devil drives. The devil will just want to press on you and, and, and impart pressure to a system that God just wants to be natural and he wants to do by invitation. Um, I'll just tell you something else. The struggles that I've had in life, especially as I've, tried to, as, I've, as I've tried to tie my life to Jesus, not just his words, but doing his words, when I've tried to tie my life to Jesus and do his words, I can't do it if it's in my own strength or if it's my own idea. I, I need to feel like the Lord is inviting me into that process. Okay, So when I begin to deal with when I begin to deal with the scriptures like Matthew chapter 5, 6, or 7, and my heart begins to bump into something, the very next thing I do is I begin to ask myself, Lord, 
Lord, what is going on here? Is this your leading? And I'll give it a day or so. And then all of a sudden, I'll begin to, I'll begin to feel invited by the Lord into a process of discipleship over one issue. When I, when I give myself to being a disciple of the Lord Jesus over one issue at a time, by invitation, I get victory. How many of you all have trouble fasting? Anybody here have trouble fasting? How many, how many of you would agree with me? Fasting is a grind. How many of you, how many of you would agree that, like, 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 if you were to wake up and, and like, fasting wouldn't be your most favorite thought first thing in the morning? Yeah, me neither. Um, here's what I found. I have found that when I go toward fasting out of the spot of it's a good idea, so I need to do it so I can show the Lord I'm serious, it's a grind. Here's what I found. But when the Lord speaks to me and he says, Adam, come away with me, and he invites me into the process, it's not a grind. There's something about invitation that leads you in. And so as you begin to, as you begin to make that transition of becoming a person who isn't simply satisfied with hearing Jesus' words but doing them, I want to tell you, don't get caught up with doing them all at once. And, and if to the best you can, allow the Lord to invite you into the process. And, you'll, and you might be thinking, well, this is great. I can just shut my ears and maybe I won't hear him inviting me into the process. That would be tragedy for you in the long run. Here's the other thing about foundations. Foundations are not sexy. Foundations are not sexy. What do I mean by that? I mean, I mean this. No one has ever come over to my house and said, Hey, Adam, house is beautiful, but what I really want to see is I want to see the footers. Yeah, no, no one comes to your house and goes, Man, th- those are amazing footers. No, no one ever comes over and says, your basement walls, they move me. It doesn't happen. When people come over to their house, they, they generally comment about two things. They go, oh, your cabinets are great. They're so pretty. They're green. They're neat. I like them. Or they go, wow, that's such a neat staircase at your house, right? Yeah. See, foundations are not sexy. Very few people admire foundations. They usually admire what's built on top. But I want to tell you this. If you don't take care of what's on the bottom, you won't be able, you, there, there'll be no place to build anything that's admirable on top. Number four, foundations are not seen. Foundations are not seen. Here's the deal. And Jesus is teaching here, for all intents and purposes, the two guys... Their lives look the same. Can you see this? There's two builders. They build houses. The houses look the same. Foundations are not seen. Here's what I want to tell you about that. This is, this is, the real, this is where rubber starts to hit the word. Foundations are not seen. This is what I mean by that. I mean that you can, you can, you can hear Jesus' words. You can come to church every single time the door is open. You can read the Bible. Not only can you read the Bible, you can memorize the Bible. You can, you, can, you can involve yourself in lively discussions with people about Jesus and the Bible. Not only that, but you can be a real road warrior and you can begin to debate the infidels about the Bible, if I can put it that way. You, you, can, you, can, you can know every detail 
about Jesus and his life. You can know every detail about the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And on the outside, it looks like a good house. Right? So here's the deal. Foundations are not seen. Foundations are not seen. Two guys build a house. All their neighbors pass by. They look like the same house. Foundations are not seen. Not only can you debate theology with the infidels, you can even begin to teach it. You could become such a good teacher of Scripture that all your neighbors are impressed with your house and they begin to think about remodeling their own house. But Jesus points out something super, super practical for us. He's pointing out in this scripture, if you know it, if you read it, if you memorize it, if you absorb it, if you, if you talk about it, if you debate it, and if you teach it, but if you have not done it, then you've missed, you, you've missed the essence of why it came, and your life is headed for ruin. What's the difference between the two houses other than foundations? Nothing. Let's look at the scripture again. Let's look at verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because because it had its foundation on the rock. 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. What's the point? The point is this, that trouble is the great clarifier in life. How do you know if you have foundations? Very simple, how do you handle trouble? Can I tell you the other thing that Jesus is pointing out for us here? The other thing that Jesus is pointing out for us is this, that trouble is an equal opportunity menace. Look at that. People who hear Jesus' words and put them into practice, what do they get? They get rain, they get the streams rising, they get the winds blowing, and their house gets beat upon. People who hear Jesus' words and don't put them into practice, what do they get? Rain, rising streams, wind, Beating against the house. Trouble is an equal opportunity menace. Like people who are obedient to... Sometimes we do the math like this. We think, well, because I'm obedient, because I've been such a good son, that excludes me from the trouble of life. Oh, man, you couldn't be more wrong. Trouble is an equal opportunity menace. Jesus says this in another place. He says, in this life, you will have, you will have trouble. And so trouble is the great clarifier. Here's the other thing I wanted to talk about, too. How many of us in the room can cause it to rain? Anybody here, can, anybody here cause it to rain? Who, who, anybody, here, anybody in here uh, control the wind? No takers. 
Here's the deal. One of the things that Jesus is pointing out is that there is a kind of trouble in life that, that exceeds our ability to control it, okay? So sometimes the troubles in life, they're not, just, they're not just the outcomes of our foolish thinking and they're not just the outcomes of our foolish ways. There is a kind of trouble that is the direct result of my inability to live life. That's foolishness. It happens. But then there's another kind of trouble, the kind of trouble Jesus is talking about, the kind of trouble that sits outside of, of control. Can't control the rain. Can't control the wind. Can't control rising streams. Y'all remember Katrina? They were out there throwing those sandbags everywhere. They can't control the streams. Once, the, once, those, once those streets filled with water, it was over. And, and what I'd like to point out is this, is that, um, at least to begin with here, is that, that sometimes people, people, people will experience trouble and, and they will make a mistake on one of two levels. They either assume, number one, God hates me because I'm experiencing trouble. Okay? And, and they begin to do cause and effect. Two weeks ago, I did this thing. You know, fill in the blank. I did this thing. And now, this trouble's upon me. All right? That's not always great math. The other thing that people assume is this. They assume, they assume that, that, that God is, is, is behind all of the trouble in their life. That would be a fatal mistake. Here's the deal. We just live in a world where sin was let loose. And it's like Pandora's box. Pandora's box got kicked open in, in, in Genesis. And, and what came out of it is, is still we're feeling the effects of it. And, and a lot of what came out of, of Genesis really has nothing to do with God's intention, his hand, or his heart toward you or anyone else in this room. It's just the place that we live in in time and on this planet, okay? And so, so the, the, the temptation is to experience trouble and assume that God, that God is after me and it's because of something I did two weeks ago and we begin to blame God for the trouble in our life and it only puts distances, distance between us and the, and the one person who can actually fix whatever's going on. That would be a mistake. Anybody in here had a hard year? Would, would everybody, would, would a lot of people, who in here would agree with me that this is one of the hardest years you can remember? Holy smokes, I am ready for this year to be over, y'all. This has been a grind, okay? This year's been a grind. Trouble's the great clarifier. It, it, it illuminates where foundations have been set. And you find out, you find out you find out what kind of person you really are, not when things are growing great, but when things start to go bad. I remember when I was a kid, my dad bought this new horse trailer. This was pretty funny. It was a, I think it was actually the first, let me put it this way. We used to, we, I didn't, my dad loves horses and he loves to ride horses, okay? And so as a kid, if you were going to be with dad at all, you had to ride horses. It was, you know, it's just what you did. And so we, 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 we had a series of really, horrible horse trailers uh i think the last and worst one was was one that was painted literally highway yellow you know you know the you know the 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 stripes on the road literally it was that color it was like you know the the yield sign that color a horse trailer that color and so it it was just a god-awful beast of a i mean like the horses didn't even want to go in it you know and because they were embarrassed i mean it was like gosh and so dad finally gets rid of it and he buys a new horse trailer. And it's a black one. It's shiny and it's like, it's got a, you know, 
It's a gooseneck. It looks good on his truck. The horses, they, they run right in it. You know, they're like, yes, we can associate with this. And um, it, it wasn't two weeks after Dad bought this horse trailer, he has it parked in our driveway, kind of like right in front of our barn. And uh, he has it parked, and it's unhooked, from the, it's unhooked from the truck. You know what happens one night? The winds blew and blew this giant tree. Now, who in the room can guess where the tree fell? Right on the horse trailer. Yeah. Yeah, we should have stuck with Highway Yellow. What were we doing? Yeah, you find out where your foundations are when the winds start blowing on your life. That's, that's just a, that's a silly example, but... Trouble and trial, they reveal the quality of the construction. Sort of a, sort of a silly example, but it, sometimes the trouble that comes on our life is way more serious. Like, what about when the kids go crazy and the diagnosis isn't good and the banker says no? I mean, some of y'all have dealt with things like this, I assume. I'm, I'm, surely I'm not the only one. What about then? Let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is verse 2 through 4. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. James says this. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must, must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. A couple things. Number one, trials, like we've already said, trials reveal the quality of the workmanship in your life. Number two, trials develop people, okay? You won't, you won't be the kind of person that you, that you most hope to be Without, without, without going through trial, and the way you go through trial affects the outcome. See, here's what trials do. Trials show us the weak points in construction, and when we become aware of the weak points in construction, we can go back and give our attention to the weak points in construction. See, here's what, here's, what, here's what needs to happen. When, when, we begin, when the winds of life begin to blow on the house of your life you, and, and, and cracks begin to show, rather, rather than becoming angry with God and rather than becoming embittered, we need to embrace it with joy, not because it came from God, but because a God opportunity has arrived and we can give our attention to the parts of our house that are weak and cracking. See, trials develop. Try this one on, on for size. Look at verse 2. James says, consider it pure joy. Not just joy, but consider it pure joy when you face trials. Did you know that it's possible to face trial with joy? I want to tell you a little something about joy. Here's the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is 100% circumstance-based. If my circumstances are good, I am happy. Can I tell you something? Happy is not a fruit of the Spirit. 
Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that supersedes all circumstances. It reigns above all circumstances. Now let me, let me give you some insight into here. Look at what James says, verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy. Do you know where joy comes from? It comes from the mind. Look at what James says, verse 2. Consider it pure joy. The, the, battle for, the battle for joy exists in the mind. Literally, literally, the way that I approach trials, the way that I approach trouble, and the way that I tro- approach the issues and the winds of my life determines whether or not I can, I can connect my heart to the wind of the Spirit that is joy that rules above tr- trouble and trial. Can you see that? Consider it pure joy others. Trial, tribulation, it's, it, at that point it becomes a battle for the mind. It, 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 becomes, it becomes whether or not I'm going to allow my thoughts to rule negatively or positively toward whatever I'm facing. Here's the other thing. All of the great people who have ever lived, especially all of the great heroes of the faith, are people who have overcome something. Think about somebody you like really admire and you look up to. Have they not overcome something? Not the least of which would be the Lord himself. You know the problem with being an overcomer? You have to overcome something. You're like, you know, it's like, yeah, I want to be an overcomer until I have to overcome something. <clears throat> I was remembering this week, um, I was remembering Charles Wesley and his brother John and they're, the, they're kind of like, especially more John than Charles, but those are, they, were the, they were the tag team brothers who founded the Methodist Church, okay? And so uh, John already had a pretty good uh, preaching ministry going in, in England, and he decides he's going to get on a boat and, and come over to a new colony, and the new colony was called Georgia, and he was going to preach to the Indians, and he was going to convert them. And he was, uh, he was on a ship, and he was on his way to a town in this new colony of Georgia called Savannah, Obviously, it's still there today. And this is 1735, and he gets on the boat in October for a four-month boat ride across the ocean. Anybody want to sign up for that? Can you imagine four months right in the middle of winter across the Atlantic Ocean in a wooden boat, okay? In a wooden boat. And can, I mean... It's probably all right that first day or two, but can you imagine the stuff you're eating by the time you, like, month three rolls around? Can you even imagine? I mean, everything is rotten, okay? You can't catch enough fish. Four months on a boat. Well, sometime in the middle of this, uh, of this big boat ride, they hit a really nasty storm, and while they hit a storm, it was so nasty that the, that the main mast was broken during the storm, Okay? Now, imagine this. There's no one that you can call for help, okay? It is, you're two and a half months into a four-month-long boat ride. The main sail, the main mast is broken. Waves are coming over the boat. And Charles, uh, John Wesley, rather, he noticed something. This is what John Wesley noticed. He noticed that all of the English who were on board were screaming and crying out in fear, okay? Of which he himself was one. The thing that really caught his attention was there was a group of Germans over in the corner. There were Moravians. Anybody heard of the Moravians? There were a group of Moravians, and they were singing quietly hymns, and they were not afraid. The next day, they survived. 
John Wesley wrote, he says, I have no idea how we survived that night other than it was the providence of God. And he goes to the Moravians and he says to the one brother, he says, I noticed that while we were about to die the other day and we were going through this, uh, through this storm, we were all freaking out, but you guys were not freaking out. And the guy, the guy said, yeah, that's right. And he says, were you guys not afraid? He says, no, we were not afraid. He says, John, John Wesley questions him again. He says, what about your women and children? Weren't they afraid? He says, no, our women and children weren't afraid. He says, how could you not be afraid? Weren't you afraid you were going to die? And I love what the Moravian father said to him. He says, we die daily. We're not afraid. See, foundations had been set. You want to find out where your foundations are set? Let the, let the wind of life blow on you a little bit, and it will expose the cracks. <clears throat> this is what James one twenty two says. James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, here's the deal. The roots of deception, they all grow in the soil of an unmoved heart. The roots of deception all grow in the soil of an unmoved heart. A heart that's satisfied with, with, with conversation about Jesus' words as opposed to being a doer of Jesus' words. That's the, root, that's the root of deception and it grows in an unmoved heart. How many of you are aware of this? It's easier to, it's easier to understand biblical principles of forgiveness than it actually is to forgive somebody. Can I tell you something? There'll be no points in heaven for people who can accurately communicate biblical principles of forgiveness. None. It gets you no credit. Can I tell you the only thing that will put you into the good kind of life? Actually forgiving. Can I tell you something else about forgiveness? Forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person's ability to be repentant and sweet and kind to you. See, it's getting hard, right? See, it's, it's, easier, it's easier to know and to talk about biblical principles of generosity than it is to actually be generous. But if we become the kind of people who are satisfied with knowing biblical principles of generosity as opposed to being actually generous, if we become the kind of people who are satisfied with with knowing biblical principles of forgiveness rather than actually forgiving, then what we're growing is we're growing a plant of deception in the soil of our unmoved heart and it will eventually choke the good life right out of you. Understanding without experience is a deception. How many of you have ever, how many of you have ever ran into somebody and they were a real know-it-all and, and after some conversation with them, you, you realized that they were a know-it-all who had only read the book. Have you ever met that guy? Oh, that guy. That guy. Heather and I were talking about this the other day. There's like, like, one of my issues in life is the know-it-all who's only read the book. Like, I cannot hear it from the know-it-all who's only read the book. Even if what he's saying is true, I have no, I, have, I just cannot hear it. I'm like, oh, that guy, you know? It's like, that guy. How many of you have ever met the know-it-all who knew it because he lived it. You met that guy? Yeah. I can hear it from that guy. Heck, tell me about everything. I don't care. I'll be the boy. Why? Because experience without, I mean, a life of, of understanding without experience is ultimately going to be deception.
Here's another way we can put it. To hear and not do is to really not even live. See, Jesus has given us the good kind of life. So if we become the kind of people who hear and don't actively pursue doing, we are actually beginning to walk into death, okay? I want to I lay this out for us. I know this is strong words, but I want to lay this out. Because it's, it, it's like this. What's the performance of the house in Matthew chapter 7 that isn't built on firm foundations? That house fails, right? The performance of the house that is built upon firm foundations of doing what Jesus says remains. All right. Jesus is giving us a picture of this life, but he's also giving us a picture of life to come. Can I tell you that? Here's the deal. When you become the kind of person who who fixes their heart and is only satisfied with hearing Jesus and responding to his word with action... Your house, will, your house will remain not only in this life, but in the life to come. To become the kind of person who hears Jesus' words, is satisfied with only hearing and conversation, is to become the kind of person whose house will fail here and in the afterlife. You're deceived. It's getting really quiet. Holy smokes, it is getting quiet up in here. See, here's the deal. Heaven and hell, eternity, it doesn't start when you die. Eternity happened when you first met the Lord. Like, we're living in eternity right now. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 28, this is what it says. It says, in the way of righteousness, there is life, and along that path is immortality. See, eternity, heaven and hell, it starts today. And the righteous kind of life isn't isn't merely the self-righteousness that comes from being a strong-willed person. True righteousness is being the kind of person who's submitted to Jesus, who trusts Him with everything, and then responds to the grace that He gives to do the actual words that He says. When you become that kind of person, you, you walk into life. Look, I love it. I mean, 28. In the way of righteousness, there is life. And along that path is immortality. So why don't we do this? Let's consider a couple things before we go. I'd like to I'd like to make a couple suggestions. Number one, in the next couple weeks, I mean, like we're gonna have all this holiday stuff going. A lot of you guys are gonna travel. Grandma's gonna come to visit. <clears throat> the the cousins who are annoying are going to come and the cousins who are great are also going to come okay and and so we just have all kinds of opportunities ahead of us in the next couple of weeks but i would like to suggest for everybody who's a, who feels like they're part here at the vineyard why don't you do this take today if you just can't if you just can't turn the football off today and that's probably me take tomorrow Read Matthew 5, 6, 7 and begin, begin to just dialogue with the Lord and say, say Lord, I, I want to be your true son and Father, would you, would you highlight for me and would you invite me in to the good life and God, would you give me an opportunity to begin to walk with you through this scripture in real life. God, would you take me out of lab and would you put me, would you take me out of lecture and would you put me into lab. God, would you take me out of theory and would you put me into real life on something. Would that be cool? Here's the other thing. Because grandma's coming over and because 
because the cool cousins and the annoying cousins are coming over, how many of you all realize that you're going to have increased opportunities to either live in anger and frustration and bitterness or forgiveness? How many of you, how many of you got great families, but then there's that one guy There's that, and he, and he, and he, oh man, and he's, the early, he's the one who comes early and he takes your spot on the couch. It's like, dude, you don't realize that's my spot. Like you do, you do not even know what you just did. Here, here's the deal. Because it's my desire that this church would be not just a church where we have good talk down, but where we, have, where we actually have a good kind of life coming and the good kind of life only comes from doing. How about this? How about, how about in the next week, you just, you just go ahead and you forgive that person who's been on your list, either for a week or two or for years. Like, like the person who's robbed you blind. How about, we just, how about you just write them a letter in the next four or five days and you go, yeah, man, you just completely stole from me and you abused my heart and just keep it. It's all good. It's, you needed it. Just, just bless you in the Lord. You know, just, how about we just forgive? You know? How about this? Because it's almost Christmas time this week. How about this? How about, because the, the, there's, there's some people in the room I know already, and, and one of the things the Lord wants you to do is he wants you to be generous in the next week, and he wants you to do it in secret. How about, how about, how about you just ask the Lord, 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 you want me to be generous? How about we look for a place where we can sow into somebody, somebody's actual life? Not, and what I mean by this is, is, I mean not just writing a check to a foundation, but I mean finding a person. How about you find a person in the next week and you go and you just bless them and you don't tell anybody. Like, like you don't even tell your husband. You don't tell anybody. It's like, it's like the hidden life between you and God. That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6. See, see secrecy and hiddenness? Secrecy is the, it, it's the purifier for my heart's motivations. When I begin to move in secrecy, when I begin to move in secret generosity, what it says is I value my Father's opinion above, of me over and above anybody else who would see. I value my Father's. What if, we just, what if we just take the week and we just say, God, I want to dialogue with you in these areas. I want to move from just being excited about the, the dialogue and I want to I I go into it what if we say I'm, I'm going to forgive that guy I'm just going to turn him loose that guy who like took my job I'm gonna, it's, it's yours you know? and what if, what if we look for a way to, to just begin to sow generously into somebody else that'd be cool okay. why don't we stand up Lord, we love you this morning. We just think you're fantastic. Father, we just ask that this week, as we move into increased family time around Christmas, God, we ask that your presence would just rest with us. And, and Father, would you, would you give us grace would you give us grace over these next few days to become the disciples who do? God, would you, would you give us grace uh, to move in, in, in 
in just unprecedented forgiveness. God, would you give us grace to just move in in ridiculous, over-the-top forgiveness? Father, would you, would you give us the grace and the means to move in, in hilarious giving? God, would you, would you give us the grace to move in radical generosity and do it in secret? Father, would you, would you give us grace to, to give up bitterness and anger? And God, would you, would you afford us the, the mental clarity that comes from seeing our brother and, and going to him and working it out? God, would you, would you give us the grace to, to deal with uh, our adulterous and, and, and lustful hearts, God? And would you, would you give us just the opportunity to turn those over to you? Would you do it this week? God, I ask that, I ask that this Christmas season would be just a season of encounter with you and an encounter of freedom. How many of us have already had something pop in our head we know we need to do? If, you, if that's you, just put your hand up. If, that's, if you don't care. If you already know, yeah, just put your hand up. Everybody see the hands up? If, if you see, if yeah, just lay your hands on somebody with a hand up. We're, gonna, we're just going to empower them to do something here. Yeah, if you know you got something on your list, let's just do it. Lord, we ask that, that everyone who already knows the next step with you this week, God, we ask that you would anoint them and that you'd give them grace to do it. Father, I ask that they could do it. I ask that they could do it with a free heart. God, I ask that they could do it, turn toward you, and that they could do it because that you're their good father. And Father, I ask that abundant righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit would accompany action. Thanks, Lord. You're so good. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, y'all. Peace to you. Amen.